the window had been busted out and our gear, part of our gear had been stolen. Uh, there's nowhere to play up here at all. I'm sitting there kind of by myself, like waiting for my manners. And, and the mirrors, like they, the mirrors kind of like spin open like 90 degrees, like they kind of rotate open. And all these women in sexy lingerie can come walking out from behind the mirrors. I'm just well, going to throw this out there that it almost sounded like you were kind of the dark side sometimes of the scene. Just when I parted ways with monuments and so it was a really, really desperate time of my life. At the end of it, our bass player told us, like, he just looked at us and was like, yeah, this is my last show. So, like, basically back to the beast era. Dealing with this alcohol intake and we're at a Christian festival and we're supposed to be a Christian band. I was kind of like, man, this, this sucks. This is not a good look. Welcome back to Dark Side of the Scene. I'm Brandon. He's Ed. How's it going? It's going. It's going. Go wooden, go wooden, go wooden. Yeah. We're gonna, we're gonna have to. <laughs> I feel like we should like update our shit and be like, use the camera portion, even though nobody wants to stare at us. Because I was thinking about like, what well, was a conversation I had earlier with a friend, and I go. I was listening to the guy from uh, Avenged Sevenfold, the singer, sing, singing, not singing. He was doing an interview, and, like, he seems like a cool guy, you know, like, regardless of how people feel about the band. I was iffy on him. I think they're okay, and then his voice kind of grew on me, but, like, he looks like a normal dude now, but, like, how many iterations of how they looked, you know, like, it's kind of funny. Yeah. When you're like, because right now they just kind of look like, normal dudes and then before that they were like <sighs> they had all the black on and the the eyeliner and all the other well stuff. that was way earlier they were and then like yeah like the singer looked like when they first started he kind of looked like a vampire like a peewee herman looking vampire and then, <laughs> and then later on he got like the the hat and the bandana and the sunglasses the axel rose looking look i really liked sounding the seventh trumpet that album oh yeah and uh waking the fallen was a good album after that i just kind of lost interest in them oh but uh, i heard of it what i was just i heard like city of evil or whatever that album and the one after that and that was the last two albums i really ever like listened to i just i don't mm. know right but it's, it's funny like they're just kind of changing their appearance, but like, I don't know. Did anybody ever notice like how bands kind of like sort of change their appearance and then nobody says nothing? I mean, Metallica, I don't think that Metallica from the Black Album to Load and Reload. Oh, that was like the artsy. I don't know what that era was. It was like alternative artsy. It was like the hard rock era. They cut all their hair off, and <laughs> yeah, that was a big deal. Like, I still remember that as being, like, a pivotal moment where a lot of people lost respect for them. I'm like, well, I mean, I wouldn't have cared about the look, but they changed their sound completely. And it was, like, hard for me to grasp that because I was, like, really passionate about them. 
Yeah. You know, as being a young kid and influenced by that, it's like, what the hell did you do? Ah. Yeah. I don't know. As far as using the camera for our interviews or whatever, we could start doing it, but when the thing makes the... Hang on. When the thing makes the uh, videos for us, it, it won't use our video anyways. I'd have to still go back and manually do that. So, uh, Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know, like, we have listeners. I wonder if they even watch videos of... I see the amount of plays we get on YouTube, and it is very, very minimal. <laughs> oh, okay. Then it wouldn't matter if it was video. I mean, no. nobody, nobody suggested that either, so it's like, well... No one wants to see us. I feel like... <laughs> In my honest opinion, I feel like I could almost talk better looking at somebody. I know that sounds weird. I was thinking about that the other day. I'm like, I'm like looking at nothing, but just listening and I'm just talking in the air. And I'm like, I wonder if I would have better interactions and speaking with seeing people with seeing somebody versus like, I don't know. I I think it's, I think it's easier just to talk to people without seeing them. Well, you're used to it. I'm just like, I think it's kind of strange. I mean, after so many of these interviews, like, I want to see people's reaction in their face, but. I just don't want people looking at me. I think people looking at me is the weird part. (laughs) You can wear a mask. (laughs) So if you guys want us to start uh, doing video, uh, let us know. Send us a message or something. But we have a guest that's in waiting. They uh, just sent an email waiting for the invite, so we're going to bring them on in. But if you want to be on Dark Side of the Scene, send an email to Brandon at DarkSideOfTheScene.com, and we'll get you scheduled. I'd like to take the time to welcome Rose to the show. Rose, thanks for coming out and talking to Ed and I. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Rose, you left Leonardo to drown off the Titanic. How do you feel about that? (laughs) We really still have to harp on that. I mean, no. that was years ago. I, I, right. you know, there definitely was enough space. Uh, you know, if I just <laughs> moved my ass over, we all could have survived. I'm sorry, but sometimes I guess you just need to be selfish. Yes, especially when you got <laughs> that huge hope diamond. Anyway, so, uh, <laughs> Rose, how, how long have you been playing music? That's an excellent question. And I'll preface this because I know you're going to guess what I look like later. I look nothing like Kate Winslet for the record. Beautiful, okay. but no resemblance whatsoever. I don't, I don't hear it in her voice. I don't know why that makes sense. But... Well, I'm definitely not British either. I am I am a Canadian. Uh, true. Canadian. <laughs> I am. I am. So and our, been... and our first female, by the way, our audience should know this. You are yes. our first female. Pretty damn exciting. To that is that. awesome female Canadian representing so thank you sweet um so as far as kind of my my musical uh upbringings uh, I started uh singing and doing classical voice lessons at the age of four so very very young uh my parents obviously uh found something uh in me that indicated I wanted to be a, a showwoman and to be on stage so they enrolled me in classical voice lessons which I studied for well over a decade uh, and then I actually penned my very first song at age seven uh, I will preface that by saying it was terrible, but it was my first song. <laughs> and then as a teenager, I, I actually taught myself to, to play guitar um, for the purposes of being able to, to work on my craft as a songwriter. 
Um, I'd always been interested in kind of poetry and lyricism, but because voice was my primary instrument and, and still remains my primary instrument, I wanted some sort of way of backing myself up and providing accompaniment. So I just kind of taught myself basic chords, basic progressions, kind of different sort of rhythms. And I, I still maintain that I'm a rhythm guitarist for the purposes mm. of being able to flesh out my songs and kind of figure out arrangements on guitar to, to back up what I was doing with my melodies. Sweet. So yeah. what kind of musical style is basically your forte? So that's an interesting question. I, I mm. think it goes without saying that no musician likes to be pigeonholed. Um, I have a variety of influences, truly, uh, because I was raised doing classical and, and Broadway kind of torch style singing. So very, very prim and proper kind of stuff. And then I was an angry teenager with a lot of angst. So I got <laughs> to punk and rock. Uh, I had a goth phase. There are photos. This, this is true. You can find evidence of that. I was the <laughs> only goth going to a uh, all <laughs> Catholic prep school. So that oh. was anything. <laughs> I got beat up a lot. What can I say? Uh, but that, you know, fueled further passion uh, for for rock music because it's all about animosity and rage and connecting with people on a very visceral level. Uh, so mm. I would say, if anything, I'm a rock musician, but I'm influenced by kind of a variety of genres because I came up, as I said, with this really prim and proper sort of vocal stylings. And then my mom is a fitness trainer. So obviously to work out with clients and do aerobics and that kind of thing. She listened to a lot of up-tempo um, pop music. So I, I grew up listening to a lot of stuff like old school Michael Jackson, Madonna, uh, Jamiroquai, CNC Music Factory. I mean, some, some good classic uh, techno from back in the day. And then my father is, is a pretty diehard rocker too. So I grew up on, you know, a lot of classic um 80s rock bands like ACDC and, and Bon Jovi and Aerosmith and and Sabbath and and some 70s stuff too like Deep Purple and whatnot so a lot of rock influence in there for sure from a variety of genres I grew up in the 90s myself so obviously grunge is near and dear to my heart but I started out as kind of a, a singer who actually ended up wanting to go into opera but life sometimes takes you in different directions what can I say nice yeah. So what was your, um, at what age did you, did you join a band? What age was like your first, yeah. like, kind of like, Hey, I'm in a band kind of moment. Yeah. It was probably around age 15, 16. Um, essentially what happened is I joined a band rather unwillingly. Uh, as I said, I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say that originally I did want to be a, an opera singer. Uh, I really had my sights set on uh, becoming the next Sarah Brightman, who's the original Christine from Phantom of the Opera. I was obsessed with her vocally, like she just her, her voice is angelic and, and perfection. And that was my vocal idol growing up. I wanted to be her. So what ended up happening is there was another girl that I went to high school with who was learning to play guitar at the time. She had heard through the grapevine that I was a singer and that I was studying voice. And so she approached me about being in a rock band with her. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, I like rock tunes. My, my dad's a, a rocker for sure. My older brother was a rocker too, but that's really wasn't kind of where I envisioned myself. 
but my best friend at the time decided for the purposes of this rock project, she was going to teach herself how to play bass and join the band. And then we recruited another lady who was going to learn how to play drums for the purpose of the band. So I ended up joining because <laughs> none of us knew what the hell we were doing. We were all learning our instruments. This is our first time ever being in a rock band. And uh, it was definitely an interesting experience. And it was through that experience that I ended up deciding to learn how to play guitar. So obviously it ended up being the right direction and the right decision for me at the time, but I was pretty resistant to it at first, to be honest, because I never really saw myself as a rock front woman. But then when I started writing rock music and then we started performing and I saw how powerful rock was as far as like really making um, emotional and real connections with people and having people, you know, um, really connect with my lyrics and being able to resonate with them. I think in that moment, I recognize how incredible this genre was and I've been hooked ever since. Nice. Yeah. So are you currently in the van then right now? I am. So I'm a, uh, I'm a singer songwriter. So I, I write my own material, but I have a band that I tour with. So mm. our full name is Rose Cora Perry and the truth untold. So the band is just the truth untold, but I'm Rose Cora Perry, the front woman, and I'm the songwriter. So I kind of identify that the same way that Joan Jett does with the black hearts, for example. So yeah, that, yeah that's also hard to get on a poster if you had the full name on <laughs> for sure it, it right. is i know it's a heck of a mouthful but it's also because i mean if you look up my name you can easily find lots of social media and, and articles and stuff about me because i've been doing this for quite some time and I, i've released a, a number of albums whether as a solo artist or with my former bands as well so i've got a bit of a track record in that regard so the truth untold is my present project but it still all falls under the discography so to speak of, of rose Cora perry um, and then this project was founded at late 2016. Essentially, I had done two solo albums. I decided that I really missed being a rock front woman, uh, doing the, the singer songwriter thing, touring around, playing little coffee shop venues. I mean, it, it's for some people, but you just you just can't get that same amount of energy and, and connection that you can when you're up on stage and you're just rocking with people and rocking with bandmates. And, and I really missed having that kind of shared sensibility. And I really missed playing those kind of venues where I felt like it was just a, a more accessible audience for, for the genre that I was writing in. And so I decided I wanted to form another band. Um, and at the time it was just to promote my, my solo album that I had recently released. But it ended up, as, as music projects often do, uh, evolving and um, really becoming, uh, you know, its own project onto itself. And uh, we just released um, in, in late 2019, before the world ended, <laughs> hmm. we released our debut EP. And then uh, at the end of last year, November 2022, uh, we released kind of our, our return to the world coming back after the events of the past couple of years, uh, a hit single, which has done phenomenally well. It got airplay on 50 stations across North America, uh, over 100,000 views on YouTube. So really really excited about this project and we're actually going to be recording some some new material um after we finish our summer tour this year so the current band as i said is the the truth untold and essentially what we are is we are a hard rocking high energy rock and roll trio from canada nice yeah that's a lot of that's a lot under your belt there 
For sure. I well, mean, I, I said I had been doing this since I was right. four, so right. maybe you didn't take me seriously. Well, no, I like I, I don't do research on everybody. I just like hear, hear their stories, but it's like, wow, you've been you've been out around for, for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess the the whole theme of this show is basically the dark side of like as to when like maybe you've had so many situations that kind of you know we're very it's 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 hard as a musician to have everything go smoothly so we like to talk about all the crappy things that happens to a musician to from you know the start to where they currently are you know you'll always have some weird event going on so you got any strange stories in mind on your way here <laughs> that is such a open-ended question and there's yeah so no right different directions i could go in with that mm. um I, I think it goes without saying as a female in the rock industry uh i hold a unique position in that number one uh, i love my male counterparts but being a female rock musician we are still very much um an underpopulated <laughs> demographic uh mm. there's less of us we're a bit of a minority and so i mean it, it goes without saying that unfortunately sexism is still very much alive and well uh i remember even seeing this didn't happen to me personally but i remember even seeing there was a, a local event in canada that was being advertised where they were having this phenomenally talented and this was just a couple of months ago so keep that in mind this isn't mm. like the 1950s this is a right. couple months ago in 2023 uh there's this phenomenally talented female guitarist who had been booked to do like a special session and showcase as part of this festival that was going on and some asshat in the comments said oh no doubt the whole seminar will be about how she plays guitar without breaking a nail and I'm like, are you freaking kidding me, dude? Like, come on. You know, should I go about saying that the equivalent then that all men choose guitars, you know, as a penis extension? <laughs> like, It's right. just preposterous of a thing to say and just as ridiculous of a thing to say. Like, I, I guess when it comes to being a musician, I, I wish that everybody would get on board and see people as artists and musicians first and then all the other associations and characterizations later like it's about the music let's keep the focus on that what a freaking concept uh it doesn't matter if right. I'm a, a woman a man if i'm black or white gay or straight like those are kind of irrelevant criteria and if it's about the music does the music connect with you does, does the music make sense to you do you dig the music yay or nay like, can we just keep it simple? <laughs> right. And and so, I mean, bridging off of kind of the, the sexism thing, I, I unfortunately have found myself subjected to various um, sexual advances that were most certainly unwanted and inappropriate, you know, from people grabbing my ass at shows. Like, what the fuck? Um, Wait, to... while you're as, as a performer or you're just going yes. to a show? Jeez. No, as a performer, wow. to, to having people yell at me in the crowd to take my top off as I'm in the middle of a set. Uh, mm. And I mean, these things still happen. So I, I'm not saying this to, you know, come across as a femme Nazi or a man hater. I'm certainly no. not. I mean, right. every band I've pretty much been in has had guys in it. Uh, my spouse, who's my drummer in my current project, like he's witnessed it himself and, and can't believe it. I mean, it's even to the point where when I was buying a new amplifier and I'm a proud rhythm guitarist, 
I never aspired to be Angus Young. I wanted to be a Malcolm. I wanted mm. to learn guitar to back myself up as a singer songwriter. It's that simple. I never aspired to, you know, write crazy shredding solos. That's, that's just not my thing. Like I consider myself to be a gifted vocalist and, and I'm, I'm very, very thankful for my ability to hear melodies in my head and to write songs. So what I do on guitar might be limited, but I'm happy with that limitation. And so I remember when I was buying an amplifier just a couple of years ago, I had asked the uh, the sales rep at the guitar store specifically if it came with a simpler foot switch, because I really only needed the foot switch to do two things, alternate between a clean track and a distorted track. That's it. Yeah. I just mm -hmm. use the two channels. I'm happy with that. That is my style of playing. It works for me. Uh, you can hear that on, on our recordings. We're happy with that dynamic. It, it makes sense for the genre that we're doing. And he, knowing nothing about my history or my musicianship, he harked back at me. Well, when you've been playing guitar a bit longer, you'll find a use for the other channels. Huh. <laughs> I'm like, you don't wow. even know me. You, right. do, you have no idea what my playing ability is. You haven't heard me. Like if I'm asking for something specifically, maybe there's a reason for it. I remember also speaking to another person at a guitar center saying, I wanted them to order me in a specific guitar so I could try it. And the reason that I was interested in this particular guitar is because that I knew it was a shorter scale, lighter weight guitar. And I'm a very petite woman. Uh, and it's very, very difficult when you're a petite frame person to be lugging around a guitar that's 12 pounds and having all that weight dig into your shoulder for, you know, a 45 minute to an hour set. It actually is very heavy on you. And that can lead to actual bodily injury <laughs> right. and, you know, problems going forward. And I mean, again, this is not something that musicians might talk about very frequently but it is a lot of stress on your body to be up there performing on stage to be moving around to be head banging and if you're doing that all while you have a heavy instrument on you that is going to lead to wear and tear on your body so i was mm -hmm. very specific with what i was looking for gave the specs and again the representative tried to convince me i didn't know what the hell i was talking about and tried to sell me on a different kind of guitar <laughs> like, wow okay and I then was, he actually yeah. argued with me that you can't in fact get a guitar that weighs six to seven pounds even though Joan Jett is famous for using her melody maker that does but anyways I can keep going but these no, are just I mean, a I was couple just thinking, examples no I mean I was just thinking about something how like I'd probably insult a lot of people that work at Guitar Center but that at most forums they've always said like guitar center musician equals failed musician <laughs> well i mean you're you're not wrong am i am i i mean i'd probably just insulted half our listeners the, the, probably, three, the three we have but you probably did but <laughs> i oftentimes find that P I, I hate to say it, and then this is this goes across the the world irrespective of what sector that we're talking about Mm. oftentimes the people that give you that sort of bite back and try to make you feel crappy about yourself they're they're doing it because secretly they're resentful and they're jealous and they just don't have a positive means of channeling those negative emotions which is unfortunately a them problem not a you problem but then you find yourself the recipient of that so mm. i mean it's funny that you make that comment because <laughs> <laughs> the other common place where I've experienced these kind of inappropriate remarks or people being really disrespectful has been from sound technicians. Oh, God. Mm. 
telling you you don't know how to turn the volume on on your amplifier or hey you have to plug your patch cord in to get sound it's like oh thanks i didn't think about that you're so right let me bow down to your genius and i mean it's just this condescending aura of superiority just because you're a female rock musician and it's hysterical because just a couple months ago we were playing um an event and uh my bassist uh, was using part of the back line the provided bass amplifier my bassist is also a female musician incredibly mm. proficient she studied jazz bass at school she's regularly hired as a session player nice for tons tons of bands all across her city and in other cities incredibly talented woman she Mm. obviously knows her way around equipment so she was using the provided bass backline amplifier that was provided by the venue and we were having difficulty getting enough volume out of it and of course the first question was well do you have the volume on your bass guitar on (laughs) yep do you have the volume on the amplifier on yep is the power on the amplifier on yep And both her and I are sitting there thinking, would we be asking for help if we hadn't already checked all of those idiot proof things? Mm. (laughs) Like, this is really offensive. And I mean, it's quite possible that the sound guy would have given the same level of attitude to a male musician. I'm not trying to make this all about being a woman at all. Because 100% an asshole is an asshole, pardon my language, and they can take it out on a variety of people. I'm just speaking from my own experience that it has oftentimes felt like it's just been because we've been women or, you know, whether I'm talking about my basis or myself. So he ends up coming on stage in a huff, quite frustrated that the two of us idiots obviously couldn't figure out what was wrong with the amplifier and in fact it was a problem with the power cord of the venue and had nothing to do with either of us and to do with us being incompetent and there was no apology (laughs) sounds like a sound guy well the funny part is nine times actually ten times out of ten it's usually the guys that screw that up like their setup and then they try to blame the sound guy and then they realize they forgot to do something. And it's really funny. It's still comical to watch dudes screw it, that it, up all the time. It's yeah. it's interesting. I mean, yeah. I remember this one time we were playing a gig and uh, every single time I played the guitar and sang simultaneously, I was literally getting electroshocked in my fucking mouth. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because they did not ground the wires properly. Mm. And so, you know, obviously, because I've unfortunately not always had pleasant experiences with sound techs. I mean, some of them are fabulous. You're like, man, can you just come on tour with me? Um, and then some of them are are not so nice and a little bit prickly. But because you never really know how that wind is going to go. Uh, I remember just kind of delicately saying in the microphone between songs, um, would you mind just coming up here for a second? I'm I'm having a little bit of an issue and I didn't want to call him out in front of an audience and I didn't want to, you know, make it look like I was being demanding or a diva or anything, but full on I was getting shocked in my face and it was it was pretty painful and I didn't really think it was probably okay to continue playing like that for the rest of our set. Mm. Yeah. I didn't I don't really sing, right? But I've never had seen that happen in a while. I mean, is that not fun? <laughs> No, I mean, because I think 
a lot of them are wireless. Well, no, they're still corded. So I don't know. I haven't. I guess like most people got the crap together to not have that go on, but I've been I, shocked. I, have you? Yeah, it's mm. been several years, but yeah, it I, sucks, right? I didn't realize I was being. Sh- I couldn't. I don't know if my brain just went dumb because I was being electrocuted or what, but like I was like, <laughs> "What is going on?" Like it was like something felt strange. I was like, "Oh shit, I'm being electrocuted." <laughs> yeah, good times. Yeah, it, it's really difficult to perform under circumstances like that. But at the same time, as I said, I mean, sound individuals can be such a wily bunch that you don't want to piss them off and then have them make your set go terribly because then nobody hears it and you can't hear yourself, etc. So I feel like there's this delicate balance. You have to really kind of walk this fine line in order to to try and be <laughs> agreeable to them but at the same time hopefully not get electrocuted when you're trying to perform you mean those yelp those yelping noises you're making ain't part of the song oh whoops yeah exactly <laughs> hard i know hard hard to imagine that that wasn't part of the performance for oh, sure wow. so you got yeah. you have a lot of advantage though because like i myself cannot sing and play at the same time it's like a split brain thing and like that's cool in itself i mean even if you say you don't shred none but if you, you still keep your rhythm chops going and singing like that's 100%. that's pretty talented i can't even do that and i i don't like you for that not because you're a female it's just you, <laughs> you managed to split your brain that way and that's you know well it didn't but, happen without a lot of practice my that's friend, what but. yeah that's what they say you got to practice it a lot and i'm like oh yeah. man and I mean, so. that was that was truly my goal. Like when I started playing guitar, I'm like, just I just got to be freaking good enough that I can play and sing simultaneously. And so legitimately, I, I practiced for about six hours a day um, until my fingers were bleeding for six months straight until I could do it with my very, very first song, which was Say It Ain't So by Weezer. And I was so damn proud of myself mm. because the guitar in that actually has a counter rhythm to what the vocals are doing melodically. That's why I specifically chose that song because I knew it was going to be challenging to try and figure that out timing wise. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that makes sense. Do you want so, me to keep uh, bitching about the music industry? I only talked about one topic of uh, discontent, but <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, you you got time to let it all out. The things that bother you the most. Actually, I wanted to touch on like the. So your husband's the drummer, correct? Correct. Yeah. So how does like you guys get along pretty well to tour? <laughs> I and, hope so. You know, like I, yeah, obviously <laughs> enough to like tour and. To, to know, be like, together you know yeah. kind of too right <laughs> yeah because sometimes i could make or break things but at the same time it, it's not a big deal most of the time it's just like you guys are just having a good time together and you know touring well i mean I, I think it goes without saying that all relationships have have pros and cons and and all of them right. have difficulties and and high points and low points i mean it doesn't matter if we're talking about a business relationship personal relationship or a friendship Anybody mm-hmm. that you care and, and love about can piss you off. And then mm-hmm. at other times, like all you want is to have a schnug fest with them. So <laughs> it, it goes, it goes in all directions. And I think, you know, kind of the, the cool thing about us coming together is that when we met uh, originally, I was just recruiting a, a drummer. And from the moment I heard him play, I was just floored by how incredibly, incredibly talented he is. He, he's a multi-instrumentalist. 
so he also does the the lead guitar on uh, our recordings and then him and I share kind of the the bass duties depending on the song so it's just kind of him and I are the the main band members and then we have a, a touring bassist that joins us for live shows but uh what was really really cool and we just kind of had this cosmic connection almost immediately is that when I started playing just some of my my material for him and we were jamming it out for the first time I remember just thinking man, I've never clicked with somebody so instantly just on an artistic level. It's like he could anticipate what I was going to do rhythmically on guitar and then match it and complement it in a way on the drums that uh, nobody else had ever done before. And we ended up falling in love and and the rest is history. And drummers get all the females. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> usually lead guitarist, but he's both. So he definitely has an advantage. Uh, no, I, I play leads. So it definitely doesn't work, but you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, maybe not because I'm not talented in Canadian, but still. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay. So what other uh, crazy, you know, misdoings have you encountered? Well, I think one, frankly, in the music industry that people don't talk about enough and they should mm. is pay to play events mm. that is still very much an alive and well thing and uh, you know pay to play and oftentimes it's now the the euphemistic term of buy on is used but uh back in the day they've always been referred to as pay to play and this exists at venues, it exists at festivals, very well-known festivals for that matter. It also exists in the radio world. I hate to say it, but payola is very, very much alive and well. Uh, we have heard and, and witnessed ourselves multiple stories of people getting sweet opening slots, going on tour with major bands because they had no problem forking over $10,000 for per opening slot you know, <laughs> sure. we've, we've, we've also heard of festivals and it's happened with us ourselves. We've been offered um, support slots on, on really hefty bills, you know, with major, major label artists headlining. If we're just willing to give the festival X amount of dollars, we can have this dream of being on the bill. Um, <laughs> same thing with, with radio promotion. If you're willing to, to pay the right person who happens to know all the right people, they'll guarantee that song gets on the air. And the other thing that this actually affects too in Canada is that we have a bunch of different foundations that offer artistic grants for, uh, you know, the um, perpetuation of obviously independent music. And unfortunately, once again, uh, all good things uh, oftentimes are infiltrated by, by, corruptible power <laughs> mm. and this is yet another area wherein if you know the right person and you pay them x amount of dollars and are willing to share a part of the grant proceeds because they are a former adjudicator that used to work for said grant board they can quote unquote guarantee you will be approved irrespective of your artistic merit history and everything else that you know the other regular bands are trying to compete for to get much deserved monies to be able to perpetuate their art. So I, I hate to say it, but like any other industry, music is 100% dominated by the people who have dollar bills. And so as much as you might have incredibly hardworking bands out there who are incredibly talented, who are very deserving, who have got these incredible track records touring all over the place, promoting their, their tails off, getting all this press, doing everything that they can to get noticed. 
they are also competing simultaneously against vanity pro, uh, projects that are funded by who knows who uh, that have unlimited resources and unlimited funds against their disposal. And at the end of the day, there's only so much room when it comes to being able to float to the top for advertising space and promotional space. And we all know that that room goes to the people with the most money. So mm. that sounds really cynical and really, really bitter, but it's true. And I, I really, really hate the fact that it's not talked about because let's say, for example, there's two incredibly talented bands. One has an unlimited budget. The other one, you know, has maybe a couple hundred dollars to spend a month that they have acquired from putting together a band fund that everybody in the band contributes to based off of their crummy day jobs that they're working. Mm. Who do you think is going to be able to get more promotion, more visibility? Well, the person with the money. And that goes the, without saying in any industry. I mean, who can compete, for example, with Google? No one. Mm. <laughs> Right. Because they they have they have the shelf space, quote unquote. They've got the the funds to be able to monopolize that market. And if you're going against people who have unlimited budgets, again, you find yourself in the same situation. And the same thing used to happen when record stores would uh, carry CDs or cassettes. Even the shelf space is limited. Who are you going to feature? Madonna's latest hit. Or some unknown band that's only popular locally. Well, who's going to be paying for the shelf space? Probably Madonna's people. Yep. <laughs> Just being honest. And again, I know it sounds super, super cynical, but that's kind of the way that the world works. I mean, money is power. And if you've got money, you're able to, even if you don't necessarily have the talent to back it up, you're able to buy your way into a lot of things. And I mean, that's only been kind of encouraged further by the fact that we now have technologies that can completely make up for any deficit in musical craft. I mean, you could just have freaking AI write you a song. You can have auto-tune make up for any dis uh, inability to uh, actually sing. You could use synthesized instruments. So what the hell's the point of actually working on talent <laughs> and actually trying to craft and hone your abilities and learn to play an instrument? Well, you know, it can all be faked. Yeah. But at the, at the end of the day, you know, me personally, if I like something, I'd rather know that the artist actually did it. I would oh, think 100 I mean, million percent. We haven't like we've touched on the subject about the AI doing the music. And I have yet to actually hear probably after the interview, I'll probably actually like listen to some AI music because yeah. I have yet to actually hear it. Like if you're another podcast they were talking about it and i'm like i should probably listen to it. so i'm gonna find out myself like you know like what yeah just something just to see if like would i even know the difference if you didn't tell me you know one of those kind of things but yeah like this is a, a strange digital world we live in <laughs> but again like i said at the end of the day i think i admire the people that actually did it you know what well and i don't disagree with you but like let's take this this conversation outside of music lovers and musicians themselves mm. do you think the average person listening to a song on the radio or the internet can actually detect auto tune on vocals because it's so normalized and commonplace now that it's actually rare to not hear it mm. i mean if they had to fix something back and like post i would bet that slide it's like eh. i mean but it, i mean auto-tune the whole 
freaking way through the song and the person sounds like a computer and nobody seems to care <laughs> i mean if they sound like a computer i don't i mean it's like with that what was that weird effect was it the auto-tune thing where like a lot of rappers use the and share used it in that one song oh right, right yeah it's i auto-tune I hate that sound. I really do. It bothers me. I do me. too, but you are a musician and a musical purist. I know that just based off of our conversation. I'm saying the average listener mm. on the radio or on the internet, average. do you think they actually... Okay, you're right. No, they would not care. They would just take it as a... Yeah, they would take that's it as my, it is. That's my point. So I can sit here bitching and complaining and saying, yeah. hey, you know, you're not recognizing that I've got 14 years of vocal training and that, you know, this is actually me singing on a record and there, there's no, mm -hmm. you know, uh, computer effects that are, are trying to enhance for, you know, or make up for my inability to hit pitches like this is actually me. But if you compare that with, you know, a pop song, is the average person going to know or and, and if they do know, are they going to care? That's no, that, kind of the, yeah. the key part of the question that I'm asking. So mm -hmm. I feel like we have all these technologies and I feel like it's diminished actually the value of what being a musician actually means anymore. Do you think it's because the average person is being conditioned to, yes. be, to like what, I <laughs> mean, percent? obviously, I mean, I know it is because like, you know, I see all these, I mean, I'm going to rip on it, but like all these people lining up to go see Taylor Swift and I don't think she's that great, but apparently she's selling out. Do you All know these... who her parents are? Oh, the, 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 the uh, conspiracy one or her actual parents? Her actual parents. I don't know who they are. Okay, so I I'm not going to get into that conversation because I don't want to get you guys banned. But look that up after the this podcast and circle it back to the conversation that I had earlier where I was talking about money ruling the world and you will understand that success very quickly. I guess I didn't look much into it. I just figured she was just, she was like country at first and then she went somewhere else. I'm like, sell out. <laughs> but any, okay. But anybody who has a limited backstory and who just kind of rises out of nowhere and becomes an overnight success, there's always more to that story than what the media and the powers that be want you to know because mm. there's a huge investment in perpetuating this is getting so dark here we go sure. there's a huge investment in perpetuating the concept of meritocracy and the american dream that we can all if we just work really hard have what we want and get what we deserve based off of our hard work and talent and that certain people don't actually have advantages based off of the families into which they're born or the wealth that they already have. Again, wow. super cynical, but it's the fucking truth. Wow, he is loaded. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. My I, I, I would rather I'd rather believe the conspiracy theorist. Yeah, theory probably. Well. It's probably a better story. That, that lady looks more like her mom than her real mom. So uh, I'm just gonna say that like. The devil had something to do with it. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a common theme in rock music. That makes, you know what? That makes all the sense in the world because when I start seeing there in Capital One commercials, I'm like, this is disgusting. Right. Like, okay, somebody's got, and then like, I feel like she's immune to all the Live Nation crap. So it's like, and why do you think that would be? Oh, because uh, friends of friends of friends. There you go. Power, the nepotism, money. The, 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 ten <laughs> the tentacles of like, 
Yeah, the tentacles of corruption of money. You yeah, you got it. One hundred percent, my friend. And this again, is pretty deep. These are not things that people want to talk about, especially. Wow, I, I did not even know that. I just thought she sucked and then everybody else sucks. So <laughs> this, well, is a, I, this is a whole new suck then. Yes, it is a whole new suck. Wow. Because if you have gatekeepers that are preventing hardworking, well earning and deserving independence from getting further ahead because they don't have the right connections or money all that's mm. going to do is continue to perpetuate the same kind of stuff that we accept and we're conditioned to accept as good when really it's actually kind of mediocre right hate to say mm. it no it, it it's, it's it is what it is i mean it's mediocre i mean like if somebody forced me to listen to that and i'm like okay it's a pop song i can hear like you know it's the same kind of format Sometimes right. you hear the same kind of vocal melody line in it, and it's in a lot of songs. It's like, okay, whatever. Is this another? You know, this it's a. They look for a hook, yep. and they built on it, and then it's like, the rest of it's like okay. It's not like. And there was probably fifteen songwriters involved, and right? They're they're just there to make sure that all of kind of those little check boxes are are uh, checked to ensure that it's got everything formulaically that would make it a hit single and that would be an earworm and at least good enough to resonate with the lowest common denominator and get repeat radio play. Right, which I don't listen to because I'm, I don't, I'm a musician. <laughs> I don't know, like you said exactly. earlier. Like I'm yes. not a normal person. Like. And, 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 and like position means you're not normal and it's even harder because like you know brandon and i are like metalhead guys and it's yeah. like and for what it's worth like this stuff is amazing in itself but like the normal people don't like it and it's maybe because it comes with the conditioning of like it's not cookie cutter it's not cookie cutter and it's like the it's not pleasant sounding even though it, to a musician it could be at one time i i got on a drunk rant with my friend and i go <laughs> I, I was deep i go you know what man i think if we figure out the frequency they use in like pop songs and try to find it and put it in our music and then it'll be like a drone in the back and if people like our stuff i mean it could be something like subliminally in there that makes everybody go pay 800 dollars for a taylor swift ticket in the nosebleed seeds i don't know but you should definitely, again, after we finished here, look up the frequency um, for standard tuning and how there's a whole conspiracy behind how it's associated with the Illuminati. Oh, the yeah, the 435 is supposed to be the correct one, I guess. Yeah, that could go, that can go other places. And how that's apparently tied to the success of certain songs as well. I mean... You said you were into conspiracies, so I definitely have read some interesting ones myself. I've, I've heard about that right. one, but I think the reality is this. Okay, so putting away all those not uh, or topics we're not supposed to actually talk candidly about, putting sure. all of those things away. Um, I think music reaches people in different ways and on different levels, and I don't think there's really a right or wrong way to digest music. Mm. I think you should just be honest about your listenership. So I have no problem accepting the fact that I listen to some bands just because it's got a really good melody or a good hook. Lyrically, it does absolutely nothing for me, but it's catchy. It's something I want to sing along to, and it just gets me excited. ACDC would be a great, great example of that. I fucking love ACDC. Their stuff is catchy as hell. It's amazing. Lyrically, 
no. <laughs> there, right, there's, right. There's a little, nothing yeah. for me in that at all, especially a little too a spicy. <laughs> yeah, that does a spicy meatball for sure. And, I mean, and that's th- thunderstruck. Thunderstruck's pretty jamming, though. I mean, you know. oh, for sure. I mean, right, but... as I said, I love them for for certain reasons, and right. no disservice to any ACDC fans at all. You can love music for whatever reason you want. It's just certain things resonate with you with you for different reasons. So, in stark contrast. Uh, two of my favorite songwriters of all time are Alanis Morissette, obviously spoken like a proud Canadian, and Chris Cornell. And mm. when I listen to their lyrics, at times it's so raw and so real and so relatable to me that I could cry because it's just like, I feel what you're feeling and I feel like a piece of my heart is in your words and I feel like I'm connecting with them and this really, really amazing, amazing level. And then there's other things that I want to listen to just because, you know, I want to get pepped up and excited things like, you know, pop music or, or, you know, like jazzy kind of music, like Jamiroquai. I absolutely love listening to him just because it's so positive and upbeat and it puts me in a stellar mood if I've had a really, really crummy day. And then if I'm having a really crummy day and I, in fact, just feel like I want to wallow in my sorrow and be angry. I'll put on some Courtney love and I'll be like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be angry at the world right now. Yeah. So all of those different groups and bands I listen to for different reasons, they all resonate with me, but there there's no, as I said, right or wrong way to kind of enjoy music. It's just what kind of reaches you and it, and it hits you on sort of an emotional level. You can like things just because you like the melody or the beat. You can like things for a lyrical meaning. You can like things because you think it sounds pretty or you like the arrangement, or maybe it's really hard hitting and you need that aggression in your life right now. Or by contrast, you need to listen to something light and fluffy and peppy because you had a crummy day. None of those things are wrong. So, right. I mean, you can like pop and you can like metal. You can like them both. You can like one or the other. It doesn't really matter. I think music is a really subjective thing and people have, you know, various reasons for liking what they do. But again, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to enjoy or to, di- to digest music. I, I think you should just be honest about why you are listening to what you're listening to. And so oftentimes when I speak to metalheads, my spouse, again, happens to be one of them. Nice. <laughs> uh, they they like it because they like the complication of it, you know, and maybe that's because as a metalhead, maybe you've got some complicated feelings and emotions on things. And so having all that heavy instrumentation and having it take you on a journey allows you to connect on a really, really emotive level. I don't really know. You have to tell me why that music resonates with you. But, you know, maybe it's it's because it's so hard hitting or maybe it's because there's so much dynamic in it and interwoven intricacies. Like those are all valid reasons to enjoy something. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess you should ask like your guys' version of Jesus, which is Devin Townsend, who's from Vancouver. Right. You're, you're, like, We've uh, met him, actually. He's a very nice fellow. Really nice. Yeah. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's, I think he's an alien. I'm pretty sure he's not even Canadian. <laughs> I mean, the, he's definitely the way, very polite, so he has to be one of our types. He's yeah, but like, the, like is it like he goes through so many stages of me, like musically and it, sure. mu- like his style, but like, yeah, I mean, sometimes we listen to it for the angst and everything, but like you don't hear a lot. It's like, but there's been bands who kind of do those things in pop format, but it's like to me, it's like an escape, but it's almost like as a musician, it's like oh, I know, I kind of know what he's doing. 
then right. there's other bands where I'm like, I don't know what he's doing. And that's really intriguing to listen to. Wow. Cool. Right. You know, right. it, it's almost not, you know, almost don't have to be in a mood. Like if I'm in a mood, like a, you know, just a regular mellow mood, I'll just listen to eighties pop for some odd right. reason. They did it right back in the day. And then, <laughs> and then that's another rant is because like you would hear all these songs on the radio, but like you'd never hear the rest of the album. And then you'd go back to the album and like, why did you not just play it? Like, that's the same with the classic rock stations. They only play like the big song. I'm like, I want to hear the whole album. I don't want to hear like, I don't know, like another brick in the wall a million times. How about play the whole damn thing or a different Pink Floyd album that is obscure, you know, like, I just think like, again, that's conditioning. Like, Oh, you already know this song. We're just going to play it a bunch of times. Like as a well, radio it DJ, is, as a radio. Yeah. As a radio DJ, I know you don't have any say in this, but it's like, how do you like, how do you feel about your job if you're playing the same damn song over and over? Ugh. But anyway, that's whole. Actually, well, like the reality is, is that particularly in Canada, I, I can't speak to how how concentrated it is in the states, but I mean, it's truly just a handful of companies that own all of our media, and they all just share the same playlist. So that the mm. DJs have no choice in the matter at all. Like really kind of the only original and proprietary content from station to station is sort of the morning shows. And then everything else is the same. I hate to say it. Um, it it's extremely conglomerated, uh, at, you know, here in Canada. And I mean, the only exception to that is obviously the the diehard community stations or the, the college university stations are going to have a little bit more wiggle room and, and more kind of original formatting. But as far as the FM stations, it's all the same across the board. The same thing with the newspapers. I mean, they, they just repeat and kind of print the exact same stories and just put their their headlines on it. Right. Or like a, a slight alterations so that you'd read it anyway. It'd still be the same thing. Like, oh, oh, it's the same. Right, but no, but like back to like the music, like hard rock, you know, like I'm a huge Guns N' Roses fan and like how they managed to get huge as they were like, uh, it still baffles me because they weren't pretty and they were pretty, pretty, pretty much ugly guys. And a lot of their albums. Are, Axel the, was a hunk in his heyday. Are you maybe not well, now, but back in the day, he was yeah. definitely a looker. Well, but he was also he also had the attitude too. like, I'm going to cancel the yeah, show if somebody looks at me. That's so good for marketing and music. I guess I guess now. it was. But like, didn't they, they, they started riots? But yeah, I, I could see where. <laughs> Like that makes them more famous because oh look what they did they started exactly. riot just like Motley Crue they are like complete degenerates and and people eat it up and they love it <laughs> like right. if these people were not musicians they would be criminals they are terrible terrible individuals and reflections of humanity but they're rock musicians so somehow it's okay right they got the best lawyers you could find pretty much and like, the best marketing team right right. It's but not. I mean, back to your point, I mean, I'm definitely an, an album listener as well. And mm. I mean, as, as much as I might love, you know, some hit singles by some popular bands, I, I do like having that full experience of being able to, to be taken on that journey from start to finish, understanding what the artist wanted you to hear, you know, as far as how they arrange the track order and, and where it's supposed to take you emotionally. I really, really enjoy the album experience. I know that this is so passe and old school anymore because we very much live in a, you know, here you'll get, you know, maybe five seconds of my time. And, and I hope that it's, uh, I hope it's good and you get our attention and, and people just don't really fully appreciate albums the same way that they, they used to. But 
I definitely am, am still an album listener and I love being able to to listen to that whole experience front to back and just being able to to reflect and kind of as I said go through that journey with the artist and then the way that they intended mm. do you think again do you think like because they're dumbing us down that the young generation will never appreciate that and I feel like they are dumb. I, I, actually, I just answered my question. Yeah, they're probably dumbing us down so that we don't appreciate music for what it is. Like a whole right. full album, like a kid is going to just listen to a few songs and then not understand that this is a piece of art and it could be a continuing story depending on the album. Right. Now that I think about it, like, Brandon, we should probably do a tinfoil episode about <laughs> the, the, the conspiracy of music. So I'm, I'm giving you material for your other. Yeah, topics. like because yeah, we're we're basically this is a more, more mostly about you, but here we're going to other topics. So we'll probably have That's to go back right. to you. No, so you mentioned something earlier, and it also is a conspiracy mission. Mentioned Chris Cornell, yes. and there is a conspiracy about oh, him yes, and his death his and death, Chester Bennington. Sure. Yep, how it was yeah. all. Yeah, because call... he was supposed to be bringing um a certain ring of. Yeah. people who do inappropriate activities with a certain demographic to the public light and so that he was I, again I'm, I'm being careful with my words here sure so he he was murdered but the thing that i find the most interesting about that whole narrative and that whole story is the fact of how he died so like i'm a i'm a very 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 hardcore chris cornell fan i i love his solo work as much as i love soundgarden and it does not seem like a coincidence. In fact, it seems like a deliberate choice that whether or not he killed himself or whether or not he was murdered, we'll leave that up for debate, that he was hanged because there are repeated allusions to hanging in his lyrics as well as his videos and various art. And that hmm. seems to me a little symbolic and deliberate. Hmm. Yeah. That's how... Uh... The guy from Lincoln Park did it too, wasn't it? I, I don't know much about what happened with Chester, to be honest. I just know that it was shortly thereafter because apparently they were very, very close friends. I thought I'd read somewhere he also hung himself, but... Hmm. Right. Like I thought really... it was strange. Yes, it, it seems very strange to me, for sure. I remember being shocked when I heard those, that news. I actually... I shed a few tears that day and I, I know that that might seem ridiculous because I obviously did not personally know Chris Cornell in any capacity, but as a musician and, you know, as a, as a music lover, just his albums and, and his art has meant so much to my life that I truly was saddened because it's just like, man, I've related to so much of your work and in such a, a really personal way that has certainly helped me get through some difficult times myself that it was just so tragic for me when I, when I learned about him you know not being with us anymore mm. yeah that's i mean yeah it affects everybody like when any van halen died that sucked like didn't know the guy but i liked him and respected him and it's like what well it's just he... it's interesting how we can yeah. be upset about losing somebody that we never actually knew but i think that that touches on again going back to why music and, and art is important is that it obviously affects people on a really, really real and very emotional and visceral level that if you're upset by who is, you know, arguably a complete stranger, you only have this kind of superficial connection to them, but you're upset by their death. Obviously, there is something very meaningful and powerful behind music. So the fact that there seems to be this impetus to dumb it down 
um, and you know take away the art from it is is really quite upsetting in a variety of ways it's not just about you know taking away the talent and making things mediocre but it's also about breaking that important connection that we're having with people yeah i mean i think like there was one of those i think it was like a soundcloud rapper i don't know he like died of an overdose and there were all those young kids were sad and i'm like i don't know who the hell he was mac right. miller i think that's his name i don't know one of those guys <laughs> but anyway so back on to you so like how is touring life in your with the three piece etc like do you guys have normal jobs enough that you can leave or is this is your job yeah and you know what i i think that most independent bands uh will be brutally honest in saying that it's not sustainable to not have a normal job and right. if they have a normal job probably the way that they're funding it is that they're also playing a bunch of cover gigs where they do like two to three sets a night so all of us work, you know, normal Clark Kentity, Clark Clent, Kent identity jobs yes. during the day so that we can fund our, our musical pursuits and be superheroes on the weekends. So we do kind of the, the weekend warrior thing. We do little stints. Um, a lot of what we do is we play kind of family friendly, all ages events. So despite my potty mouth and clearly my, my dark cynicism, I do like to be able to, to connect with, with, um, people of all ages when it comes to music and just kind of the, the beauty and the power of it, uh, you know, and we really enjoy do playing, um, you know, community kind of events because it it appeals to a, a wide demographic of individuals, as opposed to just playing at a bar at like three in the morning where, you know, essentially you're only playing to, to either diehard clubs or, or, you know, clubbers or um, people who go to, you know, get intoxicated, which isn't always the best demographic if you're trying to write kind of meaningful lyrics. Right. You just, yeah, <laughs> I know that. <laughs> I just had that picture in my mind. This guy well, they probably just want, want to yell at you to play free bird. And you're like, yeah, right. Dude, wrong, wrong. Band. Shut up. <laughs> Actually, the, speaking of, I hear a lot of bands have a hard time getting in your country, but like, what about when you guys come to ours? Does our like, is it the same border patrol? Do they give you crap? <laughs> you know what? Coming to the States is always a pleasure and a privilege for us. Truthfully. Um, obviously we, we love our own country. We love performing here, but we get treated like gold by Americans. Uh, we generally get paid better. We have better experiences with sound people. We have better experiences at the events. Uh, our music tends to resonate more with Americans. Maybe it's mm. because I got a, a quasi-American attitude being from a, a family that's half American, half Canadian. I'm not sure, but mm. we really love playing uh, across the border and we have had nothing but positive experiences. In Canada, I find that, you know, it, it, it's very much um, concentrated in that oftentimes it's like the same five bands that are playing all the, the same events and they've been doing so for the past 20 years. So it's it's really, really hard to break into kind of um, the bigger events here. So we focus our attention on where we've been successful. Uh, so, you know, following kind of the, the success of our, our single right now, Not My Time, we found that by and large, probably 70 to 80 percent of the radio stations that picked it up were all american stations so if that's who wants to support us that's where we're going to go to or that just makes sense mm. no yeah this no i meant well originally i meant like your border like oh you, dealing probably, with like the actual customs yeah well yeah on top of that too like how, how 
when you come through here do they give you shit like they give the american bands when they go up there <laughs> so we we do everything above board and by the books we have a, a uh, actual touring visa we have all of our paperwork in hand i mean mm. sometimes you get crusty people but again by and large we we usually have pretty positive experiences because we demonstrate that hey you know we a are not a bunch of drug addicts uh, with, with a car full of. Are they trying hosts. to say we're drug addicts? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. No. Unfortunately, rock musicians oftentimes do stupid things when it comes yeah. to crossing the border that get themselves into trouble, and they should have known better. So we don't travel with illicit substances because that's a really dumb idea. I'm just right. going to say it. Uh, we don't partake in illicit substances either. We're, we're pretty squeaky clean, you know, your friendly Canadian rock band. So I'm sure that that probably helps because we don't really raise any eyebrows or suspicions because we have, as I said, all of our paperwork in order. We look nice and friendly and, and all mm. that good stuff. So, I mean, the, the only kind of really weird experience that I had uh, crossing the border and then this was a couple of years ago and I truly honestly just think that it was because the border official was bored and <laughs> wanted some entertainment it was probably like two or three in the morning I can't remember where we were going but uh, he asked me specifically what instrument that I played uh, you know as the <laughs> front one. and I said well I'm a singer and he, he then on the spot asked me to sing him a song like, okay. it's two or three in the morning my voice is not warmed up I'm exhausted I'm like what the hell and so the first thing that came into my mind was the theme from the sound of music for I don't even god knows what reason but so I, I break out the hills are alive nice. <laughs> he promptly cuts me off he's like no no I want to hear something original and I'm like what <laughs> do you want me to grab my guitar like what do you want he's like no no just just sing it and then he, along with two of his colleagues, he brought them over to his booth so that I would serenade all three of them and prove, in fact, that I was a singer. And then we were allowed to cross again. Wow. He wasn't being a dick. I think he was just messing with me because he thought it was amusing. They're probably like, ma'am, we're lonely up here. All we do yeah, is like make much. sure the so, moose, moose don't go over the bridge, you know? Yeah, like legit, I had to sing to a border guard. <laughs> hey. <laughs> a, gig, a gig is a gig is a gig well so i wasn't that, paid for it but <laughs> oh that's true so now it's, it's time to play that part of the game where i'm gonna try to guess who you look like oh god all right right so i got two people okay okay because you're bubbly and happy i think of like phoebe from friends she plays like a cute, okay? no one would ever describe me as bubbly and happy you are so off <laughs> right and then I was thinking like uh, Carrie Fisher from like, you know, Princess Leia, Star Wars. Don't know why, yeah, so but you you are you are way off base with both. Both. Yeah. So let me let me tell you a bizarre story that's not musically related at all, which will give you and and Brandon can argue this if he wants, but um, the celebrity I've been compared to the most. So I was in the market. This is so not related to music at all, but I was in the market to purchase a cooler to go on various, you know, camping and cottage trips. And I didn't want to have to buy a brand new one because I thought they were ridiculously expensive and I'd maybe only use it for a handful of times over the summer. But I also didn't want a styrofoam one because they're a bad for the environment and B, they're not very reliable. So I was on Kijiji 
uh, looking for a slightly used slash new cooler. And I came across one and I decided that that was the one that I was going to get. So I go to the fellow's house and when he opens the door, he just stares at me for like a good 30 seconds and says nothing. It's extremely awkward. And I'm standing there in the door. (laughs) Um, Okay, this is getting slightly uncomfortable. And then he stutters at me in a in a very kind of pointed fashion he's like you look exactly like arwen from lord of the rings i'm like i'm just here for the cooler dude <laughs> i'm sorry so apparently i look like Liv tyler is what i'm trying to say based off of is the that cooler okay so Kitchen. i turned around and that's your screen that's what you look like yeah your little picture okay see i have long black hair i've got very pale skin i've got pointy eyebrows you look like young Cher there oh god (laughs) no no oh well again that's a model picture like you're modeling there like that's your pose that's fair that's because like my my picture i look better in that picture than i do in real life but that's just how (laughs) gotcha so i hope i I look the same in real life (laughs) sure well, awesome. I screwed this one up again, but that's oh, yeah. all right. I'm definitely not a, a blonde by any stretch of the imagination. I am a... I, I just thought of Carrie Fisher at first. Yeah. Yeah. Like like La Princess Leia, but not the hair. But whatever. Yeah. No, if you, if you were thinking, oh God, I can't even remember her real name. But if you were thinking the woman who played, her name is Carrie too, but I can't remember her last name for the life of me. Trinity from the Matrix. I've been compared to her before when I had shorter hair. Carrie and Moss. That's the one. Yeah, I knew it was a Carrie. I just couldn't remember her last name. Mm. I've been compared to Joan Jett. I've also been compared to Gina Gershon, if you know who she is. She's an actress as well. Right. Um, but yeah, usually people say Liv Tyler. I get that one a lot. And I'm like, well, that's not a bad comparison. There you go. You're an, you're an elf. You're an immortal elf. With, I'm, with I'm an elf, rock. 100%. Because specifically, it wasn't just Liv Tyler in all capacities, but when she was Arwen. So obviously, I'm an elven princess, and I expect to be uh, directed and approached as such going forward. I will only respond to I elven. feel like you could use that at Halloween shows. Probably, yeah. Dress up as like Lord of the Rings. If you guys are fans of it, that makes sense. But if not, it's like I just dressed up because everybody said I look like this. Everybody says I look well. I mean, hilariously too, my spouse slash drummer, he actually looks a little bit like the the actor who played Legolas. So we could go as a couple. Oh hell yeah, there you go. That. Yeah, we've got it all figured out now. <laughs> nice, awesome. So back to the touring. So like, okay, went through that, and then you said it was. Okay, you said America's a little better. Any crazy things on tour that you encountered? Um, define crazy. Um, just like, <laughs> just like, I guess I'm again. We kind of try to basically focus on negative things that we try to avoid. Like, right? You know, um, hmm. trying to trying to think of some. Like, I mean, I yeah, I could go anywhere. Um. Um, getting food poisoning before having to hit the stage is never fun <laughs> uh, was it like a, a venue provided food or somewhere you ate and you're like oh God. yeah so somewhere you eat and you know sometimes it's just probably better to be a little bit more discriminating about your your choices like we try to eat healthy we're, we're vegan but just because something's vegan doesn't necessarily mean that it's clean and healthy so yeah that, that's that's yeah. always down here you're pretty limited i mean we got some places that offer 
Well, I mean, you know, it's you guys can go to any. true at all. I America mean, is the home of Whole Foods, which is our go-to true. place. We don't have Whole Foods in Canada. And I mean, easily, I would happily, Whole Foods, if you're listening, if you want to sponsor our tours going forward, we will <laughs> exclusively eat at your markets and exclusively play at your markets because we love Whole Foods so much. <laughs> I guess I didn't know we had a lot of Whole Foods everywhere. I mean, I'm assuming you'd be in like some strange rural, rural area and just like there's not one away. There's there, a couple places swear, like that there's now. There's like a Whole Foods, you know, at least every hour, you know, surrounding kind of major cities. We have never had a problem. And we have literally nice. joked about doing a tour only where Whole Foods are present. <laughs> Around the parking lot. <laughs> because we love Whole Foods so much. <laughs> I, I feel like... Uh, we could ask our get gigs guy to make sure like Whole Foods is on like a tour roster for or 100% tour map. all rider agreements and, and tour maps going forward for rooting. Like we will only play where there is a Whole Foods that's able to cater this event. <laughs> that is <laughs> Ed, our stipulation. Ed just mentioned get gigs. We've actually been trying to inform people about it. We interviewed the creator of getgigs.com. It's basically it's a website. I don't think it's an app, but I think they're developing the app, but it's a website to where you can put in your information. You make up a profile, this and that, and you can basically book yourself like a tours and everything else. It kind of almost, in my opinion, kind of cuts out a middleman, but even now booking agents are using it as well. And it's almost like a community type thing and it's all free. Is this just in the States then? It's the whole country. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing. I feel like he, yeah, it's over. No, but is it is it global? Like, are there Canadian venues on there too, or international, yeah. or just American? I'm pretty sure it's everywhere, not just America. Hmm. Yeah, yeah because would... I mean, a lot of venue shows anymore. Um, again, I I can only speak to to Canadian experiences, obviously, but a lot of venue shows anymore. It, it's odd. There's definitely been quite the change as far as how booking is done you know, five, 10 years ago, you'd go directly, you'd speak with the owner of the venue or the booking agent who worked exclusively for that venue and you'd book yourself. Uh, then it kind of changed to, to bands organizing their, their own shows and kind of trying to um, buy rental fees, to be honest, to, to play at venues. Uh, but now everything's kind of gone through a, a third party promoter that basically buys a bunch of dates at a variety of different venues and then tries to put bills together. So it's interesting that a lot of venues don't even have bookers that work for them directly anymore. It's it's all going through these third parties. And a lot of the time, like you're, you're expected to sell a certain amount of tickets. Or as I said, if you're putting together your own bill, you might even be subjected to paying the venue a rental fee to even use it. It's such a stark change because at one point back in the, the heyday, Venues had built-in audiences. It didn't matter who was on the bill. People were there just for the the experience of live music. And you could easily just play as, as a local band and get on a variety of gigs. So it's interesting how much that has changed as far as the, the Canadian landscape. And I don't know if you guys are experiencing the, the same thing in the, the States when it comes to venue shows. I don't know. It's just... <laughs> I feel like venues are like dying. And then some will come back up. And then... I'm not. I'm not disputing that. And in, in fact, over the the beast era of the past couple of years, um, my my favorite hometown venue of all time uh, ceased to exist. Now that that definitely broke my heart. 
I spent a, mm. a good amount of my misspent youth there sneaking into concerts that I shouldn't have been attending because I was definitely underage, but I was just there for music <laughs> and I had a really good fake ID. It was actually a bad fake ID, but they let me in anyways. Um, but I was just there for the music. Um, and, and, and I mean, a, a variety of, of fairly legendary venues too in Canada just don't exist anymore. They, they kind of went kaput over the, the past couple of years, it- which pretty heartbreaking for sure it's like and it's sad because again you guys have like well again you said the dark side of the whole funding but like it's strange that like they don't have grants to like keep those open oh they do oh, but recipients but... are are they're they're selective in terms of who are the lucky recipients for said things and and don't think that that's based off of equity mm. So basically all the big ones with all the big yeah, artists. Yeah, nice stay. handouts and all the, the little small ones, which are, you know, the ones where your your homegrown talent is really able to, to kind of cut their teeth and get established. Those are the ones that go by the wayside, making it harder and harder to get into venues because if only the really, really big kind of amphitheater exists, well, you're never going to get a, a local show there. You're, you're not going to be able to justify them putting you on a bill when, you know, the capacity is like, 500 or a thousand people as, as right. opposed to, you know a little crummy hole in the wall where the capacity is 50 people right so it just makes it yeah. harder it, it makes fewer places to play more competition because everybody's back on the road after the past couple of years you know raring to go because we've been deprived from seeing music enjoying music and being able to perform music so everybody wants to play everywhere there's fewer venues that now exist even a lot of the the community festivals that we used to perform at, they don't exist anymore. They just never yes. came back. They they lost so much money from from trying to plan things over the past couple of years and having to cancel repeatedly. They lost sponsors. They lost funding, uh, and they lost you know obviously their audience being interested because still very much so, there are people that are still scared to go to gatherings whether it's outdoors or, or indoors. I know that that's definitely not something that's been experienced as much in the, the States for sure. We've seen mm. that with our own eyes, but in Canada, very much so. There are still people who wear masks. There are still people who sanitize wildly after every possible interaction. There's still people who are scared to, you know, as I said, go to a community gathering. That That's just the reality of what's going on. And I mean, wow. I'm, not, I'm not pointing any judgment at all. People need to do what they think is, is appropriate and right for them, you know, for them to feel safe and healthy. But that is still the reality of, of what we're seeing. I, I hate to even say like, but like, if they watch the news, they realize that Beastly Era isn't as prevalent on the news anymore. Y'all would think like that'd be... Oh, it's not in the news no more. I'm not gonna, but again, it's I think well, the damage. brainwashing the, is, is pretty the, yeah, hard uh, yeah, the, it's, the it's damage kinda, is done. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of hard to undo all of the the messaging and 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 all of the. Mm. Uh, well, I, I don't want to use the word propaganda, but <laughs> sure, sure. is it even a thing anymore? To be honest, yeah. like I haven't heard of anyone having it in months. I know, I know, like it's just disappeared. <laughs> right. And we could open up a whole other can of worms here, but probably best that we don't. But no, yes, no, there are still some people that are, are very much kind of on the fringes and, and, and still afraid because I hate to say it, that that narrative was really driven home in, in a pretty intense and pretty repetitive way for, for several years. So if you bought into that hook, line and sinker, it's kind of hard to unravel all of that and feel like you can go back to being normal. 
I mean, our lives have actually changed in a lot of ways. People did lose their jobs. People did die. People mm-hmm. were affected by this socially and psychologically. Like the amount of divorces as well as suicides that happened over the past couple of years is unprecedented. Alcoholism. Like, <laughs> so, well, no, it, drug addiction too, for sure. Yeah. Nobody's talking about the fallout and we should be focusing on that. Like, how are we trying to repair our world following all that craziness as opposed to just be like, oh, well, we're back to normal. We're just not going to talk about this anymore. It's like, um, no, people are still very much suffering the consequences of the decisions that were made for better or for worse. 100% they are. And I feel like we, we need to be offering some sort of support to that. Yeah, I, I I touched on that subject of how much it affected everybody and that it sucked. And, you know, I still think a lot does. of people still, yeah, still does. I mean, like, because I didn't feel that way, but it, again, I'm a different mindset and different cloth, strange person, but like, you know, it, it, that doesn't mean that everybody thinks that, that way, like I do. And so like, it, it, it's just terrible that so many people are just, they changed, you know, in a not good way. <laughs> Well, and I, I think that's just it. I mean, I, I think that we were also told how we should feel about it. And, and certain people who had um, diverse of opinions weren't necessarily accepted as valid and they were made out to be villains. That certainly happened in this country. I don't know if you guys watch Canadian news. But oh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> we've, we've seen it everywhere. We're just like, wow, what? Okay, then. And, yeah. and I mean, I don't think that that's helpful because the fallout from all of this is that the people, unfortunately, who were made to, to be made into villains, they're, they're regular people who had to pick up the pieces of their lives, too. And did they actually do anything wrong by just wanting to advocate for themselves and what they felt was right? Are we really in a place to fairly judge other people? Like, does everybody not have kind of their own individual reasons for things? And shouldn't we be respecting that? I mean, there, there's so many questions and, and things we should be asking ourselves about what happened the last couple of years and, and trying to see things from different people's perspectives. I'm Again, I'm not taking sides. I'm remaining neutral here. I'm right. not saying who's right, who's wrong. I'm just saying that you need to put yourself in other people's shoes and kind of think about the fallout from all of this stuff and acknowledge that, well, the beast is seems to have subsided and gone back into his cave for the time being um that that doesn't take away all the damage and destruction that was very very much real for a lot of people and i mean they're still suffering the consequences and the fact that nobody's even acknowledging them it kind of makes me angry right it does it it makes me angry i know people personally that were affected i was affected in ways too and I mean, it just, it makes me angry that it's like, all right, well, that's it folks, you know, sorry that we screwed up your lives, but we're moving on to the next thing. And what's the next agenda item? <laughs> Jacking up prices, like healthcare, like our healthcare and anything to do. Like if you wanted to. Oh, don't least... think Canadian healthcare is better. It's not. No, no, that but like ours. Perpetuated no. by our country. <laughs> oh, I, I've heard, yeah, I've heard different sides to that, but like ours isn't ours is shit you know <laughs> like our insurance you know like if somebody wants to get healed then it's going to cost them a lot of money that they don't have and then on top of inflating everything but yeah. you know that's a whole fun rabbit hole we can get but speaking of the the beast era so uh, 
I think you touched a little bit about what you guys did during it, but like, so when lockdown happened, like obviously you can play gigs. So right, and you and your husband are in the band. So did you write material then, or how did what was the band up to during all yeah. that? And that that's a that's a good question that I think most musicians would probably tell you that they wrote material. I didn't. Mm. Um, I didn't until the beast affected me personally, and I actually got very sick. Um, mm. The reason that I didn't and I wasn't focused on material is, is a couple of reasons. Um, number one, my my older brother actually passed away uh, due to mm. cancer. Mm. Um, so my parents were losing their minds. Uh, I was losing my mind and. You know, as much as being a musician is a huge aspect of my identity, I had to put my priorities on my family and being emotional support for them. And I just wasn't in the headspace to be uh, expressing myself artistically. I, I had very little reserve left to deal with myself emotionally from from trying to give support for my parents. So there was certainly just not nothing in me artistically to give at that time, to be honest. Mm. Right. Um, and that's just being very, very real and very, very genuine. Uh, it's never easy when your your parents outlive um, one of their children. Mm. And my brother was only 38, so he was very young. And to have mm. his life ended so, so quickly and so tragically at, at such a young age when there were so many hopes and dreams that he had had for himself. It just, it, it sucked. There's no, there's no articulate way of saying it. It just sucked. And it was a really, really difficult time. Um, so truthfully, I, I was kind of just putting everything on a back burner because I had to deal with more important things at that time. As far as kind of when the writing came back, I ended up being uh, afflicted by the beast myself. Um, mm. I did get very, very sick. I was, I was pretty darn scared, to be honest. Um, I, I honestly wondered at one point, was this it? And I can't say whether that was based off of the ailments I was going through or from the psychological fear tactics that I had, you know, like everybody had been subjected to. I don't know if I was scaring myself more in terms of the severity of what I was going on or what was going on versus what I was actually experiencing um, that freaked me out more. But I remember at one point, legitimately, it was, I was struggling to get enough oxygen to my brain and I know that sounds confusing but I remember saying to my spouse like I feel like my brain can't breathe right now hmm. and it was really weird and just a odd experience and I wouldn't I wouldn't wish what I went through on anyone I'm very lucky in that I never ended up in the the hospital or on the ventilator or anything and, and I certainly am still alive and I'm very very grateful and thankful for that I know other people didn't have the the same fate um but basically, the, the big song that I wrote out of that is our, our single, which we're promoting right now, Not My Time. And the whole message behind that, uh, it, it's twofold. Number one, um, it wasn't my time to go. So I'm trying to spread a message of hope that, hey, not to give up on yourself. You're, you're stronger than you know. But secondly, also questioning kind of the, the divisive politics and narrative that unfolded between those who are pro and those who are against all the mandates and everything and saying, hey, you know, we kind of all went through this really, really profound human experience. So instead of tearing each other apart, let's just realize we're unified and come together and give each other a sense of hope that we can get through this as, as a community and we can be supportive towards each other. So that was sort of the, the big song that was inspired from 
my personal experience, having gone through that, um, of course, I, I have gone on to, to write other material too. And we are going to go into the studio, as I said, um, later this fall. But as it pertains to that particular subject, that was uh, a song that just it had to get out of me. Obviously, I, I wrote it uh, about uh, two days after I fully recovered. And clearly, it's a very, very um, genuine and very, very, uh, well, angry slash hopeful song about kind of everything that I went through and everything that I was feeling and everything that I was witnessing between people over that whole experience over the past couple of years. Mm. No, I, we wrote a song too during that. So like, yeah, I can relate because we couldn't do anything. So yeah. my singer came over and kind of worked on something, but like I ended up getting it too, but not too extreme, but then a tree fell in my house. So then I felt the world was coming down anyway, oh, as, as I was sick. <laughs> It's just, yeah, this happened last year. So I got like the tail end of, right. I, Cause I don't hear much people getting like sick lately, like what right. I had. Right. And there's been like several cases of different, is, is it very, I mean, did your spouse get it? He did. He got it from me. Um, mm. His symptoms were, were not nearly as bad, but the thing that happened with him is it was lingering for quite some time. So like he had this really, really deep guttural cough that would just oh. walk away for months on end mm. and just kind of feeling like dazed and having experiences of vertigo. So just like these weird kind of, you know, feelings of feeling completely off balance and like the world is falling. Like we mm. both had that just it was odd and the symptoms lingered. Like it felt like they would just not go away. You just felt off and not like yourself for a while. Yeah. That's how I felt. I ended up getting the, the weird wheezy thing going on. Yeah. And then like the brain fog where like, I feel yeah. like I'm not a very smart guy. Right. But like, <laughs> stop did... putting yourself down, my friend, we've had a very intelligent <laughs> debate about various subjects. I do sure. not think that's a fair thing to say about yourself. Well, as in a joking way, like I did like to say, like, I'm not a very smart guy, but this made me feel stupid. Right. Like even like a basic question is just like, huh? Yeah. It like I, it was very strange, but yeah, like again, everybody handled it differently as far as like what they did with their time. Obviously, your time you know, during that was not good at all about your brother. Sorry to hear that, you know. But that that was that's a that's a terrible whirlwind of emotions. There, I mean, I see For why sure. the song means that's... a lot to you. One hundred percent, and I mean obviously you know a part of it was written for my brother too mm -hmm. uh unfortunately it was his time to go but what i can say is that he was so brave and so courageous mm. he truly was he went out like a warrior yeah I say fuck cancer pretty much yep yeah. <laughs> until, <laughs> i mean like i like to say like this i like to say if there's one i if there was a politician that once said i'm going to cure cancer I'd go for that guy, but none of them want to. So, <laughs> well, I, I hate to say it, but it does more for the economy to keep uh, your population sick, nope. not dying, but sick and reliant on pharmaceuticals and reliant on on the medical industry. Uh, you know, it, it's good for money and it's good for yeah. the economy. We're, we're so going to get flagged, well. but whatever. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> it's all I, good. I, I started good. it too. I started it too. Bad words, but I didn't either, but <laughs> we know. So once things started picking up, like yep. were you on your first, your very first gig after the whole shit, how did that feel? 
we played everything probably about 10 times faster. That's all right. <laughs> than we're supposed to, because it was just like, it, it was like a racehorse raring to go. Just like, damn it, I'm going to win this race and I need to get out of this little gate right freaking now. And it's just going to happen. And I mean, it, it was funny because like we, we played the, the set before, you know, on our, our previous tours, we knew all the material you know, always felt super confident about it, had our show worked out and everything, but overwhelming a feeling of nervousness and excitement simultaneously. And just so freaking, I, I don't know, almost relieved to be back on stage and to be back kind of in my element, like performance for me, I know musicians are musicians for different reasons. Some people really come alive in the studio. Some people just love creating and, and creating songs, sharing it with their friends, even if they don't do it in a public venue. Some musicians live for being on stage. I live for being on stage. I don't like being in the studio. I'll do it. I get creative. There's certain elements of it that are rewarding for me, but for me really where I want to be is in front of people. I want to be on stage and I want to <laughs> be putting on a show. So to, to finally get back up there, I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> That's but awesome. my yeah. god we played everything so freaking fast like my wrist was sore from all the super fast palm muting at the end of it. that's all right but it was awesome <laughs> my uh, i don't remember my first show back but i remember going yep sound still sucks up here yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it's not like somehow we we developed better sound techniques like oh man the stage sounds still suck i forgot what gig it was but i just remember thinking that like oh same old same old shit same drunk people cool I actually you had know. really great sound i i can't complain about that that's one. It was good really cool outdoor festival for um it was a food festival actually um but it, it, we were playing a special guest that the sound was great that the crowd was energetic and enthusiastic we had we had americans come back come down to see us because it was fairly close to the border and we're like oh my god this is so cool some of our Wait, american pals food, came to see us what's a food fest like when different kinds of foods right yeah exactly oh exactly. i was thinking like a food drive i don't know why <laughs> <laughs> this was not in a church parking lot it, oh it okay food, or church, yeah stage, i promise gotcha. there were people there there were vendors with an, a, an assortment of different foods that you could try man i'm jealous here <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we we played everything so fast and i remember the coordinator when we finished our set they're like you still have 10 minutes left we're like we're good we're done <laughs> just play a set again no they won't know pretty much pretty much yeah but it's fine we had to get that nervous energy out of our systems and it was just so cool to, to be back and to be back doing what i love which is being on stage and performing nice and so things have pretty much gone uphill since like you're you guys you see you came out with an album afterward correct uh, so our album was actually this is this is like ethically bad timing sure <laughs> especially given the amount of money that we put into marketing it and all the buzz and everything our album came out in november 2019 and we had plans to go on a huge tour in 2020 i'm sure you can oh. presume that that obviously yeah didn't. that happened to a lot of people that we spoke to yeah that really sucked but luckily, because we never really got to promote it as, as heavily as we wanted to, um, it's still fairly fresh in people's minds. So we have that uh, out and people are still enjoying that. And we're still getting radio play and stuff for that, which is pretty cool. And then obviously, you know, kind of our 
hey we're back we're not dead yet song uh was not my time which we released uh last year to kind of announce that we're going to go back on the road um for this year because last year uh what we did finally get a handful of shows under about we only played like seven shows and the reason for that like we went from playing six months out of the year uh literally between may and october on a regular basis prior to all of this madness having our first year back playing seven shows. So I'm sure you could appreciate it's like, wow, that's a pretty dramatic difference. But the mm. reason for that is because in, in Canada, truthfully, up until like July of last year, um, there were still uh, a lot of venues that were still having policies in place, uh, which were preventing certain parties from going to said events. And something that I never ever wanted to do with my music or my band is feel like I was politicizing a view in terms of who our events were going to be open to. So until mm. all of those rules went away and everyone was welcome to come as they should, uh, we refused to play any shows, which I know is probably in stark contrast to a lot of bands who just wanted to get the hell back out there, but we didn't want to be part of the division between people based off of their decisions in life like the bee a bee sting <laughs> sure <laughs> gotcha <laughs> yeah damn damn killer bees anyway. you got it you got yeah. it yep well the murder hornets made a brief appearance but we didn't hear much from them and yeah i never got to see one i wanted to capture one with like a bug net and it never showed up oh well yeah i know like i felt like there was all this hype and then nothing happened i'm like are the locusts gonna be next like what's what's going on here and then the murder hornets never materialized and mm. it's a little bit disappointing <laughs> oh man the whirlwind of uh, again like we basically humanity's be basically become a meme generator and like whatever yeah. happens we just make fun of it it's almost like that's going to be as our demise comes and if the world ends it's all a meme we'll just that's, be laughing basically everybody's basically cyn cynically cynical with their humor we just right. don't care no more almost everything's a meme to us now so. Well, in all fairness, I mean, I think that it became breeding ground for apathy to spread the past couple of years because of all the craziness that kind of unfolded, right? Like, what do you expect? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, it was it was endless. But like, I, I, I got, I got to chuckle out some of it. I had to. That was the only way that most people you can, can deal get. with it. Yeah, it's it's humor. Humor has been around longer than we'll ever be alive, so that's just how we deal with things and. Well, that's yeah. exactly it. Sometimes when you can't cope, you just have to laugh at the ridiculousness of the whole situation and be like, for real. <laughs> so basically you're, you're, you're basically re rearing up for a tour soon. Like that's, we, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Right oh, you are on tour. <laughs> oh, I, th I thought, I thought you said that earlier and I'm like, is she on a bus? You know, I I did, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not literally on a bus. I'm right now in the living room and I've got my three cats all surrounding me waiting to have a love fest. They are not satisfied that I've been on an interview for almost two hours. They're uh, very dissatisfied with me right now. Okay. But as I said, because we have Clark Kent identity day jobs, we do the weekend warrior thing. So mm -hmm. um, since June until uh, October, we are playing a, a handful of shows. We're in both Canada and the States. Our next show is this Sunday, actually. And then the following weekend, we're back in the States. We're in Ohio. Then the following weekend, we're in Connecticut. So we've been playing a, a bunch of shows, actually. 
prayer for the last month and we will continue to do so until we get to October and then back into the studio and there will be more material and then like a good Canadian uh, we will go into hibernation when the snow gets here because it is not safe nor practical to try and go on tour in Canada when there is snow because the weather is so freaking unpredictable and it's just not worth it. People want to be in their houses by their fires, cuddling with their animals. They don't want to go out. It sucks lugging gear in the snow and it's freaking cold and it's dangerous for driving conditions. And I'm sorry if again, I'm not sounding like much of a rock star, but damn it, no, it's just no. not worth it. It's no, really it's, winter sucks. So it play does out. Suck. But and as a Canadian, I can tell you, like our winters are terrible. That is not an exaggeration. Just well, I was gonna say just light the trees on fire again and like <laughs> heat the whole country up. I mean, I, I, I think it's one of the. Do you, want, epi- do you want to talk about the conspiracy there? Then we'll definitely. Is definitely, it like? I is it blacklisted? Oh, I know. I was saying about that. It's like, well, like it. I kept saying, like, man, our their smoke smells like plastic. So I'd assume Canada's not real. It's like surrounded by plastic trees, so you don't get in it. You have to go through the bridge. So it's so. funny that you actually say that uh, mm. because the city that I live in, its nickname is the Forest City. And in order to honor this title, instead of planting more real trees, uh, the powers that be thought it appropriate to commission a local artist to have a bunch of metal trees installed in downtown areas. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to leave that one with you. That doesn't well, make any sense. Right. It's it's. Yeah, I'm just, I'm going to keep my mouth shut on that. I said what I need to say. You can have your own thoughts and comments on that. Uh, this gets yeah, there, there are some really great conspiracies about what's going on with all the wildfires. But again, I should probably not talk about that because I will 100% get canceled. Man, I have so many questions to ask, but oh well, we'll... <laughs> You yeah, can come on my other podcast. Ten right. hotels, we'll dive need into. To come it. on your other podcast. This right. this uh, conversation has gone really, really. It's gone darker than you intended. I think. Well, it's <laughs> it's a mix. Sometimes we need to talk about other things other than music, and somehow really? it, it it ties together the human it emotions. It Wait. well, what I can say is that these fires in my province of Ontario. These fires were over apparently eight hours away from where I am, and we could smell and see the smoke here, which is nuts. That's how thick it was. Like it was actually causing us to cough. Hmm. Eight hours away. Wow. Well, it, that that same kind of smoke made it made its way down here one morning, and I'm like, why does it smell like plastic? Yeah. I'm like, what is that smell? Like I expected like happy burning trees that fall smell but it was not i don't think trees are happy when they're burning my well no friend. no that's why they make eh, popping noise but yeah wow yeah, this could go on for a long time <laughs> i think that we're getting to that point where we can wrap this up because yeah, we don't we don't want our cats attacking her <laughs> definitely not they are starting to look a little bit wily and uh impatient at this point and you definitely don't want to miss mess uh, with uh, two uh, twin Siamese cats. Oh, nice. You don't want them on your on your bad side. I've seen that cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> These ones are real. They are not a cartoon. Oh, they are yes. actually named the lady after... and the tramp ones. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. The, these two are named after the Batman villains, the Riddler and the Penguin. I've got oh, nice. Oswald Cobblepot to my right. 
and Edward Nigma to my left right now, and they're both giving <laughs> me the stare down. Nice. That's funny. Awesome. Well, Brandon. Well, this is the point to where we usually ask if there's a song that you would like for us to have playing at the end of every episode. We have a song from the artists that we talk to. So right. is there a specific song you would like for us to play? Well, I would have thought that'd be obvious based off of our conversation. Right I, I figured, but <laughs> right, yes, you if, never know. If you, would, if you would be so kind as to play Not My Time so that listeners can uh, kind of hear what it was I was talking about and, uh, you know, hopefully hear a little piece of themselves in the song and be able to relate to it, that would be very, very much appreciated and wonderful. If you can send me a copy of it, either an MP3 or a wave, I'll add it to the file once I get all this put together. I absolutely can. I think I already did, but I can resend it because I know you and I had connected quite some time ago. I'm sure it's there somewhere, but I've got a lot of emails to dig through. <laughs> no problem. But, well, Rose, we definitely appreciate you coming out and talking with us. Been very interesting. <laughs> been our first female I mean, yes. guest. Being the first female I, guest. I'm happy about this. It's about time. We, we're, we, we're, Equal opportunity podcasts here of of all sorts of people. We're over 40, 40 something interviews deep, and you were the first female to come out and talk to us. I thought I was only the first female Canadian. I'm the first female overall. Yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. We had okay. a couple others lined up, but they disappeared. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know. They just ghosted us after a while. So, so then did this go as expected, or were you surprised? I, it it went as good as any guess. Yeah. It didn't matter. We're yeah, not it didn't really, like it didn't this matter. Girl, this, yeah, this girl doesn't know how to talk to people, but you know, and then we didn't have any preconceived notion that it was not going to be a good time. That makes sense. Good, good, right. good. I'm happy I fulfilled the low bar that you had for expectations. Hey, we're a I, low bar podcast. I was going to say <laughs> I keep my expectations very low. That way, I'm never disappointed. <laughs> that is a good mantra to have on life, my friend. Well, thank you guys again for, for spending a good chunk of your Tuesday evening with me. It was a pleasure speaking with you both. Um, yes. You're way off as far as the celebrity comparisons, but that's all right. Uh, and I will definitely send you that song. And thank you again for having me. I, I enjoyed speaking with you both about various topics and everything and anything outside of music as well. <laughs> Sweet. I am for real, though. If you ever want to talk conspiracies, just let me know. I can get you on my other podcast. <laughs> I think you should have my spouse on it, actually. Like, he, you think I'm bad. He's, like, knee-deep into this stuff. He would have so much to offer. He's an elf. Regard. He's also an elf. He's lived thousands of years. Exactly. He's, he's seen so a lot he's of stuff. Seen some shit. <laughs> he has. He has seen some serious, serious shit go down. That's true. We are elven royalty. Don't you forget it. Yes. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> I forget the rest of the same. It wasn't like ten thousand years ago. Ten thousand years ago, <laughs> something like that. All right. Well, again, Rose, we appreciate it. Thanks for talking with us. No, thank you for having me. I hope you guys have a great rest of your night. Thank you for everybody uh, who's tuning in. If you want to learn anything more about me after this very crazy, random uh, assortment of conversations, uh, please do check out my official website, which is triple w rose like the flower cora c-o-r-a perry like joe perry from aerosmith.com rose cora perry.com awesome Sweet. all right everyone 
you want to be on Dark Side of the Scene, send an email to Brandon at darksideofthescene.com and we will get you scheduled. But on that note, we're going to head on out. So good night, everyone. Don't look back. Don't look back.